Psalm 32. Let's turn there and, and read together. David writes, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, though my groaning, uh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and, I, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. Selah. For there let everyone who is godly, or therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. And you surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understandings, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, Otherwise, they will not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's just ask the Lord to illumine his word to us tonight. Jesus, we, we thank you for the fact that you delight in revealing yourself to us. And we know that the scripture illuminates who you are. And we pray that tonight as we study, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would be the one instructing us. We thank you, Lord, that that, <laughs> that uh, prayer is something you delight to answer and delight to say absolutely yes to. And the amazing thing is, is that as your spirit instructs us, Lord, it's an individual thing. You go right to the heart of our need. And so we pray that you would do that miracle work even tonight among us as we, as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How blessed. Um, the word blessed is, is uh, I think, uh, something that Perhaps as believers, we, uh, we may get addicted to that word. <laughs> um, 
I and I don't think it's a bad addiction, actually. To be able to say, I am blessed or bless you is God bless you is a is a an act that I think the Lord finds delight in. However, I should say that it's likely Christianese. It's something that that the rest of the world doesn't really get because wrapped up in that word is is the uh, the thought that um, there is happiness there, but it's not just giddy happiness. It's fulfillment. It is joy. It's satisfaction in the Lord, and and that's where. David starts here in this psalm. He says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Um, there's one of those words, again, that we use just about every day, transgression. It, 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 uh, it doesn't fit in our vernacular, does it? And yet it is something that is, um, that is real. It's a part of, of our life. And, and it's interesting to me that in the, in the very next sentence, um, David says, whose sin is covered. And here we have a duplet, uh, a, a, a speaking of one truth, and then the reinforcement of that truth by saying it another way. Um, the word transgression uh, at its root means to break away from or uh, to revolt or more specifically to, to be in rebellion. Have you known anybody who's in rebellion? Yeah, it's it's a it's a real difficult spot to be in. Um, very often, those who are in, in rebellion um, are blinded by their own transgression. They're blinded by their own will, and and the rebellion continues. In a, in, in, until very often there, there could be calamity that they would find themselves up against. But, but David here is saying, how blessed is the person, how fulfilled is the person whose transgression, whose rebellion is forgiven? F forgiven. And here's a word that, that we use a lot, and it's important that we do, and yet um, I think we parse it quite a bit. Um, there, is, there is the truth that forgiveness means um, uh, that, that we, well, the word itself means to lift, or, um, and, and when, when we read uh, whose transgression is forgiven, who does the forgiving? It's God, right? And so he does the heavy lifting. It's not, it's not our work that brings us to forgiveness. It's the Lord's work that he has accomplished. And he is able to forgive and declare even not guilty because he is the supreme authority. He is judge of all. He has that authority to do so. Um, and and this, this idea of forgiveness, of lifting, is something that the Lord also invites us to partake in with one another, doesn't he? It's, it's a, it, it truly is, I believe, we could say that forgiveness is 
a, an activity of God himself. As we talked this past weekend about being partakers of the divine nature, this is one of those opportunities that we, we get to step into and be partakers of that which really is an attribute of God, the ability to forgive. And, and uh, that, that is something that is not normal. It's not natural. It's truly born of the Spirit. Now, here in this context, we're speaking of the fact, David is speaking of the fact, whose sin or whose transgression is forgiven, and he's speaking of God, God himself. God is able to forgive. Um, Jesus answered uh, and said to them, John chapter 8, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, here again, listen up. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does not remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And the Son is S-O-N, capital S-O-N, the Son of God. If the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. That sin is lifted off of you. The guilt is lifted off of you. Um, uh, some time ago, I, I um, sat under a teacher who, who said, you know, forgiveness is really about dropping the charges. When we forgive someone else, what does it mean? Do we, we lift the burden of guilt off of them? I think God is really the only one who can do that. But what we are able to do for one another is release one another from the charges. So when we forgive someone, we say, I dropped the charges. Yeah, you offended me. Yeah, you hurt me. Yeah, you did wrong here. And that, we can call that sin. But I forgive you, I dropped the charges. And then the Lord is able then to also do that glorious work to release that person of guilt. And and that is what David is suggesting here. Uh, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, his guilt is released, whose sin is covered. Now, sin and transgression, are, it's interesting. There's two different words. Is there a difference between the two? Well, perhaps a bit. Again, transgression has that connotation of rebellion, willful willful. Um, uh, pursuit against the Lord's commands. Sin is uh, more of that being an offense. That word uh, sin speaks of offense here in the Hebrew. Um, and he says here that whose sin is covered. Now, what does that mean? Whose sin is covered? Whose sin is covered up? Is that what that would mean, do you think? I think we need to dig a little deeper here in that, for indeed it does not mean covered up. Um, This is not an invitation for a person to to simply 
cover up their sin and allow it to still be there. No, rather, again, this is the, the way this, the, the poetry is, is written here, this is a reiteration of transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. David is attempting to say the very same thing twice, and that is an exclamation mark. Um, in uh, the, the word covered here is, is a curious word. In its root, it means, <laughs> it means to plump up. Now, where in the world do you get the word covered out of that? Well, I like to think of it as this. Uh, like it, it also has the connotation of filling up the hollow spot. So if there is a, if there's a, uh, a, a pothole in the road, what do you do? You cover the pothole, but in so doing, you fill it up. You fill up the void. And, and that's what this, this word covered means. And in many ways, I think that's a glorious, glorious picture of what God does for us as well. When we experience forgiveness, it's not, it, 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 is, it is indeed the taking away of the guilt, but it's the filling of the void that that guilt may have left as well. The Lord gives us that fulfillment even in, in his forgiveness. Psalm 85 uh, uh, verses 1 and 2 says, O Lord, you have showed favor, uh, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Um, again, it's not, it's not, um, there is, is not this connotation that it's a cover up. It's a, it's a filling in and doing away with. Um, now the, the next verse here, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. There's a, another 50 cent word. What does impute mean? Well, in this, in this context, impute means um, that the, the Hebrew connotation here again is very interesting. I, I love digging into this. It is, um, uh, some of you ladies might know what pl plaiting or plating hair is. It's the weaving of hair, right? Um, and, and it has that connotation um, to, to interweave or even to fabricate something by that interweaving. Um, does not consider uh, or, or does not impute iniquity means that the Lord does not uh, consider this sin to be integral to who you are. Um, now, we, are, we, we understand that we are born sinners, right? Is it integral to who we are then? Let me ask you this. Does our identity go away when the Lord forgives us? I'm not certain that it's, it's reasonable to say that our identity is obliterated when the Lord forgives us. Our sin is not integral to who we are. What is integral to who we are is the image of God. 
that is, in, we are created in his image. And that is integral to who we are. Sin is something that was applied to the world. Apply, it's been applied to humanity, but it is not integral to God's design. And, and so this idea here that the, the Lord blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute iniquity, or in other words, who does not consider iniquity or sin to be integral to who he is. What that means for us is that we have this glorious invitation to walk in freedom. We're not chained to this our whole life. We have the opportunity to walk free of that. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. In whose spirit is no, there is no deceit. Notice the word spirit is a small s, right? Did you know that we all have a spirit? Yeah, that's part of, again, that's part of the image of God in us. We're created in his image. And the spirit is, is, um, uh, is well, the scripture says that God is spirit. And, and there is, that is part of his identity, part of his mark in our life. Now, um, that spirit, uh, the, the word itself means breath. And I, I, I love that, that thought because uh, we are not alive without breath, right? We just, we're not, we can't be alive without breathing. And so the spirit indeed speaks of, of life. And the truth of the matter is that because it is part of God's image in us, it is also part of our eternal life. Our spirit doesn't die when our mortal flesh does. That is, that is that eternal part of who we are, not just as believers, but as humanity created in the image of God. In whose spirit there is no deceit. No deceit means no treachery. There's no falsehood. There's no betrayal. Um, it's interesting that when we are caught in our sin, um, there is exposure. God pulls the veil off. And, and we cannot lie about anything, right? God knows it all. But how blessed is the person whose spirit does does is already uncovered, that God doesn't have to do the uncovering. Um, that is a, a beautiful thing. In that person, there is no pretense. It's simple honesty before the Lord. And, and that is, uh, again, someone who God says, who David says, uh, and the Lord through him is blessed. Now, it's interesting, right after that, in verse 3, he, he starts picking up the flip side of that. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of the summer. When I kept silent about my sin, how many of us are 
are um, ready to boast about our sin. We laugh as though that's ridiculous, don't we? That's because the Lord has convicted us of sin. But the, the world is all about boasting in their sin, right? And, and, and yet, because the Lord has spoken to us, because his truth is resident in us, um, we are convicted of sin. And so we are not inclined to boast about it. Rather, when we sin, in our, in our fleshly humanity, one of our uh, most prevalent practices is to try to cover it up. And, and that is something that uh, David writes here and says, this, this is something we want to avoid. Because what happened to him? When, he's, when he covered up his sin, he says, my body wasted away through, the groaning, through my groaning all day long. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like what, norm, what today we would call depression. Just a wasting away, a, an overwhelming sense of, of just heaviness and, and uh, emotional pain. And unrepentance brings that on. Uh, however, on the flip side of that, repentance releases that heaviness. Uh, Psalm 31 uh, reads, verse 10, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. Now, I have to say too that um, very often there are physical consequences that come along with sin. And and, uh, we bear consequences sometimes. The, the reality as well is that sin is an awful lot like infection. And what happens when you cover up an infected wound? It, it festers, doesn't it? It festers and festers and, and, and eventually it spreads. Uh, not to be gross or anything, but you know what a pus pocket is, right? And, and when that putrid stuff spreads, it, it creates even more infection. And so the covering up of sin, is, is, uh, it, it leads to destruction. Night and day here speaks of the fact that the Lord's hand, it's, it's interesting, the Lord's hand was heavy upon him night and day meaning that it's, it's unrelenting, ever-present. His unrelenting hand, heavy upon him. What does that speak of? It speaks of conviction. And many of us will, will persist in our sin, even though we know that the Lord is, is speaking to us. Even though, even though we know that what we're doing is wrong. And we avoid the conviction. And that, that almost always ends badly. Until, unless, the person uh, simply repents and says, I can't take this anymore. 
It's interesting here, too, that the Lord's hand is upon him in the midst of that. It's not just the weight of sin. It's the Lord's hand of conviction. Um, the grip of God is, is not something that um, we ever want to shirk. Um, we heard testimony tonight of the fact that, that um, Jesse, the Lord's grip was on Jesse, right? And, and uh, I, I have to say, as an aunt, the bold prayer to say, Lord, would you, would you arrest him so he could get help? And there in the midst of that jail cell, the Lord meets him. His grip is finally uh, recognized and he, he turns around. And that's, again, the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of that difficulty. Um, let's look at verse five. Oh, wait a second. The word Selah. Um, we talked about this before. The word Selah means pause and, um, or interlude. Um, many, of, many of the Psalms, you know, to be poetic in nature. Many of them are, sent, are, are meant to be put to music. Um, if we look at the top of this, depending on your Bible, uh, my Bible has a subtitle, a Psalm of David, a maskil. Um, the truth is we don't know exactly what a maskil is, but very likely it may have been a type of or a form of music. And, and so Selah is, is that, that instruction to the, the psalmist who is singing the psalm or whatever to take a pause. And just, um, I, I, I think it's instructive for us to understand as well, even in our modern day worship, we have Selah moments. Um, sometimes that's an, uh, an interlude in between verses. Sometimes it's, a, it's an instrumental solo. Sometimes it's, a, it's the, uh, um, uh, just a, uh, how do I say it? A, a period of pause at the end of a verse or a chorus. And, and it's there for us to reflect. It's there for us to reflect and digest. So we have this Selah moment, um, thinking about sin and forgiveness. And then in verse 5, David goes on to say, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. The word acknowledge here is interesting to me. Uh, actually, the word acknowledge and confess are derivations of the very same word. And in Hebrew, it's the word yada. It means to know. And, and um, so when we think of uh, acknowledgement, we're simply making it known. We're uh, making sure that, that the truth is known here. Um, with the word confess, it is, um, again, the same root, but it, it has um, this, this connotation of, of uh, 
pointing, pointing to, or uh, even, even throwing something like, like throwing an arrow and pointing to something. So confessing is I am, I'm making that known. I'm making that specific thing known. Um, and it has, it has this connotations of, of the hand being involved as well. So I'm making, I'm making that thing known, and it carries with it the word yada, also carries with it the idea of the lifting up of hands, and it is even used in the context of worship. And it strikes me that confession very often is one of the things, particularly in our modern evangelical churches, it's one of the things that is missing of, uh, in our, our worship experience together. It's an important part of our worship. Now, confession doesn't need to, need to be a public thing. It can be. But most specifically, our confession is before the Lord. Yes, the, it is important as well to confess to one another. Why is that? Because there is accountability in that. Because the Lord honors that. Because it's also before him that confession takes place. And, and so that, that, um, that, that importance of confession is, is acknowledged here. Um, um, and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. And here again, this word forgive means to pick up and carry away, to lift off. Um, I love that imagery. Forgiveness lifts the weight of guilt. It, it relieves us of that which oppresses us. Let's go on. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with songs of deliverance. Who is the godly one? Who are the godly ones here? Um, it's interesting to me because the, the word uh, that is used for godly here is, is chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. It's like you gotta, you gotta, uh, like you're working one up to leave a luger on the, on the sidewalk, you know, it, chesed, right? Um, you may have heard of Hasidic Jews. Who are the Hasidic Jews? They are the very conservative Jews that we that uh, that wear the the um, they wear a lot of times the men will wear hats the the and and they wear the um, the oh, what 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 do I want to say it's not the talit they wear the talit to pray um, but but they are they are very specific about um, uh, how they carry out their piety. And, and indeed, that's precisely what this means. It's about being, um, being engaged in this discipline to be pure, to be um, 
clean before the Lord to be devoted to him. Um, So what is the prayer of the godly person? What is that prayer? Let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. What is the prayer? Where have we been previously? The prayer of the godly one is the prayer of repentance, right? It, the prayer of the godly is it, are those that that uh, that uh, understand their guilt and they seek to be forgiven. That is that is uh, quite honestly one of the biblical realities of 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 being godly is being aware of just how guilty we are, how ungodly we are. It's, it's a curious reality, but that's, that's the, the description that, that is here. Um, so this business here, though, however, he says, in a, pray to you in a time when you may be found. When is that time? When is the time that God may be found? It almost sounds as here that that's a, that's a season or something, that God's not always ready to be found. How does that work? Well, again, um, I, I think we have to understand that f- the, the season to find the Lord is this present season, right now, before the judgment. Um, we, we, we want to seek the Lord and pursue him now. Today is the day of salvation. It's not, it's, not, um, it's not some time in the distance. Today is. Right now is. Um, uh, Isaiah 55 uh, says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Just earlier this evening, in our time of worship, the, at the end of our time of worship, we had kind of a season of waiting, didn't we? And we had this, this season where we were focusing on the holiness of God. And I don't know about you, but to me, that, that is one of those moments where the Lord is saying, I'm near. I'm near. Seek me now. Don't, don't neglect this opportunity, don't stand on the outside with your arms folded, uh, scrutinizing this. Seek me now. Now, we understand as well that the Lord is always present with us. He's always near. But in our humanity, there are times when we are more aware of his presence than others. Um, Just continuing in Isaiah 55, He says, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So why does God have compassion? Why does God pardon? Well, it goes right on in Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and the bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I think it's important to to note here that God desires to forgive. He desires to deliver. He desires to save. That's his intent. And the psalmist here writes, surely in a flood, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Um, God doesn't promise that there's not going to be floods. He doesn't uh, promise that there's not going to be trouble. He doesn't promise that we won't need a hiding place from time to time. And he doesn't say that we won't need his hand to preserve us. But what he does promise is that he will. That's the good news. And I I don't know if you hear that that glorious song in many of our pasts. You are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Remember that song? That's, this is the passage that that comes from. So verse 8, let's look there. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel with you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. I will instruct you. The word instruct means to be circumspect, um, to be investigative, to be intelligent. Um, to teach means to, uh, it has this curious thought to, to uh, again, to, to, to point out, to point out. So, so here we have instruct and teach. Instruct is that digging in. And that teaching is the pointing out of the specifics um, in the way, in the way in which you should go. Um, it's interesting to me. I, uh, this brings uh, to mind uh, Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, the, the Shema, uh, where, where the Lord says, uh, the Lord is, hero Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and These words, which I'm commanding you today, shall be in your heart. You shall, here it is, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. In the way in which you should go. Maybe, I think we could say that that includes in the manner in which you travel. It also includes the way in which you should go, the pathway that you should take. In the way in which you should go means you need to be moving. 
You need to be moving. I, um, many years ago, I was instructed by an older brother, and, and asked, I was asking, what, what's the Lord's will for me? And he says, well, um, uh, you know, the Lord can't steer a parked car. You need to be moving. And as you do so, the Lord is going to direct your path. He goes on to say, um, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I'll, I'll counsel you. And, and that means I will guide. I will instruct. I'll consult you. And with my eye upon you means that God is watching. <laughs> God is watching. Don't be as a horse. Don't be as the horse or the mule. Um, what does a bridle and a bit do? It holds those animals in check. They keep him from going um, uh, one way or another. They restrain. We're to be responsive to God and obedient to his word diligent to walk in his ways, to keep in step with his spirit. And I, I, I think the message here is let's not be stubborn and self-willed and prideful and letting our flesh de determine our direction. No, don't, don't go down that path because the Lord will have to jerk you back. When I was a kid, we had a Shetland pony that I delivered papers on every, every afternoon threw the papers over his back, and I hopped on. And he was the meanest, meanest, orneriest, little cantankerous pony you'd ever want to meet. And every once in a while, he would just head off this direction, and I'd be pulling and pulling and pulling, and he would still be going. And, 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 and those of you who are horse lovers, you'll, you'll not like this. I finally got to the point where I would just jerk on the reins. And what does that do? Then he listened. You know, it, 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 uh, it made his teeth hurt, rattling his head. And, and we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be there in our relationship with the Lord. Rather, we want the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in our lives and, and allow the Lord's Spirit to move freely among us. How do you know you're walking in the Spirit? What's the fruit of your life? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Is it that? If it is, then you're walking in the Spirit. If it's not, if anger or, or um, lack of patience or bitterness shows up, it's a good indication you're not walking in the Spirit. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but those who trust in the Lord Loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright. I believe that the psalmist here is, is he ends this with a call to worship, doesn't he? That is where we are to be. We are to be uh, before the Lord and even worshiping him all the time, to be an offering that is fragrant to him. Um, those who trust in the Lord, his loving kindness, his beauty, his favor, 
will surround him. That means that it, 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 from border to border, he, it will hem him in. That's a good thing. Um, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout joyfully. Shout for joy. I, I'm, I'm thinking the word rejoice here um, and then shout for joy are the same idea. Rejoicing is meant to be loud. It's meant to be something that is boisterous. In fact, um, it has this connotation of, of even spinning with delight. What would happen if that would happen here? Somebody would go spinning off in delight in their rejoicing. We'd be scared to death, wouldn't we? That's that's out of the norm. Well, the truth is that that is really indeed the the connotation of what the psalmist encourages us to do. He's saying, let it out. Let it out. Be boisterous in your your praise and, and be glad. The word glad means to brighten up. In the end here, the Lord looks upon our heart. It's, it's, uh, what's going on inside of us is designed to be reflected on the outside. And it is truly the heart that the, that the Lord looks upon. And, and in so doing, we can be confident that, that as, we, as we avoid covering up sin, as we confess freely before him, what's going to happen? He's going to do that marvelous work in us that he's promised. Um, it's been said that revival starts with the recognition of sin and the confession of it. And when we can get there honestly before the Lord, he delights in not only extending forgiveness, but enabling us to rejoice. And that's infectious. That's how revival happens. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the fact that it is, it is um, refreshing to us and, and life-giving. It's active in our lives. And we pray that um, what we've learned tonight, Lord, would bear good fruit, that it would bear the mark of your fingerprints in our lives. Thank you for your goodness in that. We love you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.